Good morning. Good to see everyone. Y'all ready to get into the Word of God? Let's dive right into this. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, we are in part 45 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, Clarifying the Kingdom Building Plan. So we're going to start with a real short un- intro, and then we're going to get into six small teachings of Jesus surrounding the idea of the kingdom and building the kingdom of God. So real quick, just to bring everybody in to why this is important for you and why you care, is this is the theme running through the entire message. Everything we do, all the time we spend, all the money we spend, all the thoughts that we have going on in our heads are building something. They're largely building our kingdoms, what we think is important. It's building our families and our futures. What if what we are building in our identities is not what God wants? What if what he wants is antithesis to what we want? What if we are heading in a direction God is not okay with? What happens if his view of the kingdom and our view of the kingdom collide? What's going to happen, right? I mean, that's really the issue. What's going to occur when those two go head to head? Someone's got to give. You can't serve two masters. Either you're making the call or God's making the call. So when Jesus comes in and he says, I'm the Messiah, all the Jews know what that means. It means you're a king. And if you're a king, what kind of king are you? You're going to set up like political stuff, military stuff. What are you going to set up? And what kind of kingdom are you going to build? Can I be a part of it? What am I supposed to do if I'm in it? So Jesus went through and did a series of teachings to say, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. This is important, this is not important. This is what your agenda should be, this is what you've got to avoid. And every time he did that, it was kind of jarring, not only to the crowd then, but it's jarring to us now. This is the kind of sermon that really rattles my cage. Because I know full well there are areas in my life that are not in line with his agenda. There's still stuff that I'm building almost like we build like this. We go, you know, two for Jesus, one for us, right? You know what I'm saying? Or sometimes it's two for us, one for Jesus, you know, and we, and we kind of build and we're saying, Lord, as long as I'm building your kingdom a little bit more than mine, we should be cool, right? And we're trying to do it at the same time. It's not really his or ours. We're trying to do the and we're trying to say, no, no, I don't, I'll give you plenty of attention, Jesus. You just hang out. I just got a little bit I got to do over here and a little bit for you. When we start doing that, we start building up things that he is not interested in, that he is not blessing, that he is not all right with. What are we going to do when that happens? Jesus does not build like we build. He's not about the same things. What we're focused on, what we're fascinated with, what we're obsessed with, he is not. So where are the areas that Jesus is going to ask us to follow him that we are not doing so well? Well, let's see if any of those pop out today. Let's throw the first scripture on the screen. This is going to be a combination of Matthew, Mark, and Luke in each one of these teachings. So it begins like this. As they were going along the road, a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Did you see it? That was exciting. You're like, ah, not really. No, I'm missing it. I'm at... That's shocking. Why? Who just said that to him? Is a what? Scribe. You know what a scribe does? No, that's why it's not impressive. 
A scribe is an expert in the law. Here's what he does for a living. He takes the Mosaic law and he's the expert to tell you all about the nth degree of rules and regulations. He's the guy that will tell you how to parse everything out and do everything perfect. It's not about the spirit of the law. It's about the letter of the law. And his whole identity is wrapped up in making sure that everything is done in a religious way. Well, what is Jesus about? Not that. As a matter of fact, Jesus comes on the scene and starts re-racking everything. You have heard this, I tell you this. This is what you were taught, this is what I'm telling you. And he went head to head with the experts in the law. They were animosity folks. They were going back and forth with him saying, no, no, you got to do it exactly like this. He said, you're missing the whole point. That's not at all what my father wants. This was the heart behind the law. This is the direction that we're going to go. So why in the world would a guy who's so wrapped up in that say to Jesus, a carpenter, and call him teacher, and then say, I'll follow you wherever you go. That is a complete surrender of his entire identity. Why would someone do that? I don't know. Why did you? There's a lot of folks in here that you weren't always a good person. You know what I'm talking about? We got some hardcore backgrounds in here. We got some folks that were pretty nasty. You know what I'm saying? In leadership. You know, I mean, we're talking about all of us in some time. We're not with God. And if we're not with God, what will we doing? There are some of us that have done some really, really rough stuff. And one day, as God was beginning to get your attention, he turned your entire identity. You wouldn't even know the background of some of the folks you're sitting next to because it is so polar opposite from who they are today. You literally hear their testimony. You hear them share what they were like. And you're like, no way. You must be lying. You were not like that. You were not a coke dealer. You were not this. You were not, you know, you're not a gangbanger. You're not this. You're not. And we have all these background stories and we can't even imagine it because our identity has turned 180 degrees away and we're now walking a different direction. This guy had some type of interaction to where he was willing to give up his entire identity. And he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, really? Well, let me explain what it's like to follow me. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Is that what you want? You say that you want to follow me. You say that you want to be with me. Let me explain something to you. I am completely surrendered to my father's will. For 30 years, he built into his family and he was organizing things. He was a hard worker, solid work ethic, carpenter. He's a guy that was underground. Nobody even knew about him for 30 years. When he goes public and he starts realizing, I'm doing everything my father says in an outdoor public ministry. I'm only going to go three years and I'm going to die. He blew it out. He cut all strings and said, I'm all in. If I was to tell you, hey, tomorrow we're going to have this prayer meeting and we're going to have it around 11 o'clock, maybe 1030. Most all of you would go, sorry, I can't be there. I got a job, man. I got work to do. Jesus knew that all the things that were going to hold him down, he had to let go for those three years. So he broke away from everything. And he said, I'm homeless Jesus now. That's where you get it, right? It's this passage where you get the whole idea that Jesus was homeless. He lived on Peter's couch. He didn't have, you know, if he's, oh, I got to worry about my mortgage. I got to worry about this. He had no ties. He was all in for those three years. Now you can do that if you're only going to live for three years, right? 
little harder to do that long term. But Jesus was just saying this, and this is what he's demonstrating. I'm not about my kingdom building yet. I'm about my dad's kingdom building. And right now I'm not on my own agenda. I'm not doing my own things. I'm not making my life easier. I'm not making myself more comfortable. I'm not looking out for my future. I'm looking out for everything my dad wants. And that's the only thing that matters to me. Then it says to another of his disciples, another guy that was just following him around, not one of the 12. He said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Can you imagine Jesus in person calling you to follow him? You all remember the crazy naked demon guy? He begged Jesus to be his disciple and Jesus said no and he was crushed. Can you imagine Jesus in person selects you out and says you come follow me? How amazing would that be? I mean, I, Jesus is my everything. He's my hero. And so to me, it's like the coolest thing in the entire world that I would have Jesus in person say, you can come be in my inner circle. That's amazing. This guy has an excuse. This guy's like, Hey, I appreciate the offer, but I got something I got to do first. And I'm thinking, wow, that's intense. Would somebody really say no to the call of Jesus? Oh yeah, that's right. We do it every day. What you think he's not still calling? You think that he has to be in person for it to be important? Because now when he whispers to you and he calls you to follow him and we still have a million excuses This guy at least sounds like he has a legitimate excuse. I mean our excuses are you know, you know what there's the game's on I'm, sorry. What the game's on This guy's like I gotta go bury my dad and everyone's like, sorry, man, your dad died. I feel terrible about that. And so you would assume that jesus is going to be super nice to this guy because he seems to have a legitimate excuse Look how jesus handles it Jesus said to him follow me Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You go, Jesus, that was mean. That is not very nice, sir. The guy's dad just died. Now you're being rude. Okay, it really has to do with what is really going on here. What, what is the real scenario? There's actually been four different readings of this story throughout the centuries. Let me give you an idea. Does it mean... That it's a bad translation and it actually says instead of let the dead bury the dead does it mean let those who bury the dead bury the dead in other words There were official people who buried the dead and he was going listen. You don't need to be caught up in all that We got people that do that. Let it go Follow me Let the people that do it do it. Is that what it means? That was one view. The other view was this let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead because they're not about my kingdom anyway. They're not doing anything important. Whatever they're doing is building their own kingdom. They got plenty of time. They're not even with me and my father, so it doesn't even matter. Let them do the work. Is that what it means? Or does it mean, hey, I don't care how important your thing is. Discipleship is immediate. When I say jump, you jump. Is that what he means? Where he's going, no, no, no. I don't care how important that is. Following me is more important. Let's go right now. Is that what it means? Or does it mean this? This is the one that I favor. A lot of scholars favor this one. Is it really tied into what the guy said? Let me first go and bury my father. It's actually a phrase that's been used in a lot of different cultures. And what it means is I have inheritance here and I got to go sort that out before I can follow you. In other words, my dad's not even sick. My dad's not dead. My dad's a long way from dying. As a matter of fact, my dad's like only 43. And if you want me to follow you, if I walk now, I'm not getting anything. 
I mean, I gotta, I gotta be there with a family. I gotta put my effort into this whole thing because that is my future. That's my retirement. So there's no way that I'm going to just bail out and go follow you right now. I gotta be here. I mean, my dad could be another 20, 50, you know, who knows how long. But all I know is I gotta get mine first, then I'll come follow you. Now, do you understand Jesus' response? Wait, what? Oh, you gotta go build your kingdom and get secure and then you can follow me? No. That's not going to work. You let them do their own thing. You follow me right now. Says yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me go say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What? You can't even say goodbye. I mean, even Elijah let Elisha say goodbye to his family. Why is Jesus being so harsh? What's wrong with just going home and saying goodbye? I'm sure there's plenty of time. Why, some people go, well, because what Jesus is doing is more important than Elisha. Here's what I'm saying. I think Jesus is super intense because he's using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration to get people's attention. He does this a lot. For example, he'll say phrases like, unless you hate your mother and father in comparison to me, you're not fit for the kingdom. That's kind of extreme. And then he says, if your hand causes you to sin, do what? cut it off. Is that really what he wants? Where he has all these people in the kingdom with like little stubs and nubs and you're like, I can't bring you water. You know, it's a, you know, that kind of stuff, right? No, he's not talking about hacking limb. He's being really extreme to say one thing, which is what? This is super important. So I ask you, is following Jesus super important? You better believe it is. So he's going to use all kinds of exaggeration to say, listen, the whole deal about, I got a million excuses. I'm going to do my own thing first. That's not going to fly with me. We're not doing that. We go to the second story. These stories are out. I pulled them out for theme. They're a little bit out of chronological order. So let me just give you the background. Do you remember I told you that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration, but the other nine had to stay down at the bottom of the hill. They got to see Moses and Elijah in person. They got to see Jesus transfigured where he's glowing and they saw his glory. It was pretty awesome. And they weren't allowed to talk about it. But on that journey, and when he was with them, he let them know that he was going to die and raise again. Well, that kind of tripped them out. So they're kind of processing that, and that's where this story comes in. It says, so they kept the matter to themselves. They weren't allowed to talk about it, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. They couldn't figure out, are we at the end of the world? I mean, if you're the Messiah and you're going to die and raise again, like now? I mean, how does this all work? We just saw Elijah. The other guys didn't. Has Elijah come? Is he not coming? Are we finishing everything? Is I mean, am I supposed to prep for the end of the world like tomorrow? Did we miss something? So the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes, why do the experts in the law say that first Elijah must come according to Malachi 4, 5, and 6? Jesus answered, Elijah does come first. They're right. And he will restore all things. He's going to get stuff ready for the Messiah. However, how is it written to the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Now, like Jesus, stop talking about you getting hurt. We already had that conversation. Talk about something else. He said, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. Elijah has already come and they didn't recognize him, but they did him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, was visited by an angel talking about his kid, he said he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah, in the person of John the Baptist, did come. 
set it up. Jesus is the Messiah, but we've already talked about that in a prior teaching. So why am I bringing it up again? Because of this reason. Hey guys, you're going to walk with me, are you? You want to know what my kingdom is like? Well, let's talk about the guy who started it, who got it kicked off. That would be John the Baptist. What happened to John the Baptist? He comes out, he preaches everyone should repent. He starts getting into people's personal business, ticks off the king. They throw him in prison. And then because of a dance, he gets his head cut off. That's how the guy that started this went down. You know what they're going to do to me? They're going to spit on me, mock me, crucify me, kill me. That's what happens for the big dog in the, you really want to walk with me? Because I'm looking around at a crowd of 12 guys. One of you is going to commit suicide. That's Judas. One of you will live all the other 10. You're all going to die and be killed for your faith. So if you want to talk about following me, you want to know about my kingdom. You want to know what it costs to walk with me. I'll tell you, every one of you are going to get murdered. That's pretty brutal. So should Jesus be extreme? Yeah, it's a tough call. He's saying if they treat us like that, the leaders, what are they going to treat you like? So let me be very clear with you. This is your whole life. This may cost you your whole life. So if I start talking about the kingdom and you're all fired up and, hey, maybe we should go with you. That would be fun. Let me, you're a celebrity. Let's go do all that kind of stuff. You sure you want to walk with me? It's a tough call. And it says this next story. When they came to Capernaum, this is after they were gone a long time hanging out together in the Gentile area. They come back home. This is their home base at Peter's house in Capernaum. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? In other words, we're looking at our roll sheet and he didn't pay yet. You didn't either. But Peter said, yeah, 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 no worries. He does. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first and said, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? What, from their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to them, then the sons are free. What does that mean? Well, let me back up. Guys come up to the door. Why are they talking to Peter? Because his house. Hey, we know your master's in there. We know that your rabbi's in there. He hasn't paid his taxes. Does he pay his taxes? This one? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got it. All right. What's the two drachma tax? It's worth two days wages. So just think and calculate in your mind. What do you make a day? Imagine that doubled. And you pay that annually. All Jewish males that are 20 and over pay this. It's a temple tax. You go, temple tax? What are you doing with a temple tax? Well, when they first built the temple, it's super expensive and they did a free will offering. Hey, if anybody wants to give, that's great. And then they put it all together and they, they built this awesome temple. However, you know how expensive it is to run the temple? You know how many people work there? You know how many sacrifices are given? That place is buzzing 24 hours a day. It takes so much money to keep that thing running. It then went into a mandatory tax on all male Jews. One time a year, they had to pay two of their day's wages to keep that thing running. It's for the temple, yeah? So Jesus says to Peter when he comes inside, Hey, Peter, so I heard the guys at the door. Let me ask you a quick question. So if you're a king, like, and you're going to run this place and you're going to impose a tax, do you really tax your kids? Do you tax your kids allowance? Is that what you're doing? Cause that's just rude. Are you really going to, Hey, give me some of that allowance back, right? No, you're not going to do that. You tax other people. So I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we do. Right? What's your point? Jesus. My point is it's a temple tax. That's my dad's house. 
I'm his son. Why are they asking me for a tax on my dad's house? Are not the kids free? If I'm the son of God, why are they asking me for tax? That's ridiculous. I should be free. You're my boys. You're sons of God. Therefore, you are free. The whole fact that they're asking this question means they don't know who the king is. If they still think they're the king, that's fine that they should ask me for a tax. But if my dad is king, they shouldn't even be asking me this question. They don't know the kingdom. But you know what? Since they are ignorant, since they don't have a clue, let's not scandalize them. Let's not put a stumbling block in their way. And he said, uh, not to give offense to them, go out to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. That's worth two of these taxes. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Okay. Before I did the studying on this message i had never even heard or thought of the concept that this wasn't a real miracle that this was just some type of exaggerated story i was like what do you mean it's not a miracle of course it's a miracle it's the fishy miracle right it's a fish with a with the with the coins in his stomach miracle and everyone's like no 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 no, because jesus would never do a miracle for his own benefit right because that's what the temptation in the wilderness Hey, turn stones into bread, use your own miraculous power for your own benefit. Jesus would never do that. And he would never, Peter can go out and earn two days wages. He's not going to encourage laziness and then just let Peter off the hook. And man, these commentaries were like, there's no way this is legit and blah, blah, blah. I totally disagree because I think there's a different point to this. First of all, Jesus didn't do it just for his benefit. He did it for Peter's benefit. Jesus ate the loaves and fishes that he multiplied for the 5,000. Jesus ate the loaves and fishes he multiplied for the 4,000. Why? Because it was not totally about him. It was about ministry. Not only that, I think the main point of this miracle is if we're talking about kingdom resources, I've already front-loaded it in all my people. I can make resources come out of a fish's mouth. I don't need your money. I can make money anywhere I want to make money. And y'all know that he said they were going to be fishers of men. So you start saying, oh, now the men are the fish. Oh, look, the resources are with the people and blah, blah. I mean, we could go on and on and on into this message. Here's the only point that I want to make. He's the king. He's in charge of his kingdom. And he can make resources out of anywhere he wants. I think that everyone's like, well, he was just telling Peter to go back to work for a day. That's why I mentioned fishing. Stop. That's not the kind of fishing Peter did for a living. What kind of fishing did he do for a living? Nets. He didn't use a hook and a reel and all that stuff. We always kind of have that messed up metaphor in our minds. They cast nets out. Here's what I I think he literally was going as a visual aid, go out, hook a little fishy, grab him, fish like, and and he take that. Give that to the guy, and he's like, what in the world? What did you, what did you do to these coins, right? And he's like, there's your money for your temple. Because the whole point was, this is ridiculous. I can't believe you asked Jesus for this. Next story. They came to Capernaum, same, same time frame. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's a weird question, because y'all know what the kingdom of heaven is? kingdom of heaven is a little bit complicated because it has a couple different meanings the most common meaning that jesus uses is here in this world it means wherever god's influence 
is happening, that is his kingdom. It's here on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, every time you share the gospel, that's the advancement of the kingdom. Every time you pray for someone, that's an advancement for the kingdom. Every time God is worshipped, that is the placement of his kingdom. Anywhere that light is shining out and things are as God wants them, the kingdom is expanding. So in your life, whenever you give up of yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to fill in and you're sanctified, the kingdom is present. That's what Jesus was talking about mostly. He's saying, listen, everywhere we move, almost like if this whole place in the world was Satan's kingdom, we are now breaking out and exploding out and pushing back the kingdom of the enemy everywhere my Father's will is done. If that is really the definition, then isn't this kind of a weird question? Hey, God, so on this whole thing about how it's all about you, so which one of us is most awesome? What? What? Why are you asking me that question? That's a terrible question. It means you don't even understand what the kingdom is. It's not about you. Notice where it happens. It says when he was in the house, he asked them, "Uh, so what were you guys talking about on the way here? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another as to which of them was the greatest. That's embarrassing, right? (laughs) Don't look at him. Avoid eye contact. Look away. Look away, right? (laughs) And everybody's looking away. And it says, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, sat down in the posture of a teaching rabbi, and he called them together. Boys, we're going to have a family meeting, all right? Everyone gather around. He said to them, if anyone would be first... He must be the last of all and servant of all, not slave of all, servant of all. By deliberate choice, if you want to be great, you serve all. They're like, oh, that sounds lame. It's called the upside down economy of Jesus. Here's how it works. The higher the title, the greater the servant. In other words, Jesus had the highest title. He's king, yet he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus is the son of God, yet humbles himself and serves and spends his whole three years pouring into the lives of his disciples, right? Does that still work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a church, the higher the title, the greater the servant. Whatever title you have over someone else, anyone that is in your influence, they are now the people you serve. That's how Jesus' economy works. So a lot of people are like, man, I'd love to be a pastor. All right, let me just tell you what it means. It means that anyone you influence, you now serve them. They spill their drink, that's your problem. If they have issues in their marriage, that's your problem. If they have stuff going on with their kids, that's your problem. If they don't know how to share their faith, that's your problem. Why? Because you're a servant of all. Whatever title you have, it's your job to make sure everyone under you is thriving and empowered. You sure you want that title? You sure you want that job? Because it's exhausting. It's the whole reason... Why we have to have multiple pastors and multiple lay leaders and multiple people on the ground ministering to you because we know what our job is. I can't do it. I got to have so much help and everyone collectively, all our leadership across the church is the only reason we would have any health at all because they know that we are all called whatever title we get. Our job is to serve you. Does that also work in the household? It does works like this it says the head of man is christ and then man is the head of the wife it says that the man is the head of the household 
And all the guys go, oh, that's awesome. It means I get to make all the decisions. Really now. <laughs> Who are you fooling? Here's what it means in Jesus' economy. Highest title, what's your job? Your whole job is to serve your family. Your whole existence in that house is to make sure that your wife and your children thrive. That's what it means. And that you are to be about that business. If they're not thriving, you're not doing your job right. Jesus always flips it upside down. So all his disciples keep going, man, so who's, who's like that, that, the biggest title? Who's the best? And he's like, whoa, 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 guys, stop, flip it upside down. Who's the greatest servant? That's where you're going to find out who is the leader of this place. And then it said this, calling a child to him, he put him by his side. That is a place of honor that never happens to a child. Children in the Middle East had no rights, nothing. They had they were no people. You had to grow up in order to have any value in the society. You were not allowed to talk. You were not allowed to put your input. You're nothing. You were not even to be heard from. He takes that child, puts him in the seat of honor, and then even in the conversation at some point, takes him up into his arms, it says, uh, taking him into his arms, he said to them, truly I say to you, in other words, listen up, this is deep. Unless you, and he's talking to the 12, unless you turn around and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that brings up a couple of questions. Number one, who's the kid? Is there any way to know who the kid is? I mean, it just says it's a kid. It's a little boy. We know that. It says him. Who's the kid? Well, there's a practical answer for that, which is most likely that it was, they were in whose house? Peter. Was Peter married? Yeah. Uh, did Peter have kids? Probably. So it's probably Peter's kid. That's the easiest answer. That's the quickest one to grab for an analogy. Then why would I bring it up? Because tradition says that's Ignatius of Antioch. You're like, What? Ignatius of Antioch was a church father. He wrote a ton and he died a martyr's death. He was a disciple of the disciples. So in other words, he was way younger than they were. So he would have been a child. His name was changed from just Ignatius to Ignatius Theophorus, which meant carried by God. In other words, it was so wrapped up on the idea that he had been carried by God, they altered his whole title and name around it. So is this Ignatius? Here's my answer. This is my assumption. The answer is both. This kid was Peter's kid, but Jesus didn't just pick up one kid. I'm going to suggest to you that all the times it talks about it and he brought the children up on his lap and he prayed over them and blessed them, that's a big deal. To be picked up by the Son of God and loved on, Jesus was really into kids. And so when he would take time to hold them in his arms and he would stand up and lift them up, I bet you Ignatius thought that was such a huge deal that he said, I want that a part of my identity, that Jesus carried me. Other questions? It says, unless you turn, he's talking to the disciples. What are they not saved? Unless you turn around, you're not even getting into the kingdom. What does that mean? It means this guys, what were you just talking about? Who's greatest? All right. As long as you're talking about who's greatest, we're not building God's kingdom at all. Until you guys get out of that mindset and turn around 180 degrees, go the opposite direction and start being about my father's agenda, you're not building anything. You're not even in it. 
Man, the whole idea that you keep talking about me, 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 that's not it. No, you're not part of the kingdom in that attitude. And then it says that we should be like children. In what way? In my studies, a great question got brought up. Are we supposed to be like kids in qualities or in status? What do I mean? If it's qualities, then we should be like vulnerable, innocent, trusting, right? I mean, these are qualities that we should, and we all kind of think that. We've been taught that most of our lives. But what's weird is the context is actually more status. What's the status of a middle Eastern ancient child? You don't have one. Isn't that what Jesus is talking about? Until you become like this kid who doesn't have an agenda. Until you become like this kid who has to be given instructions. Until you become like this kid who's not building his own kingdom and arguing with me. Until you become like this kid, we're not going anywhere. Once you realize that you got nothing, now we can begin. And isn't that how it always goes? When you first get saved, you are brand new and you literally are just ready to go. Hey, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. The whole fact that I'm walking into church and y'all are singing together is weird. Why are you singing out loud? That's odd. There's nowhere else in society that we're singing out loud, right? And so now we're coming in and we're like, everyone's going to pray and y'all close your eyes. Who are you talking to? I'm so new to this. Whatever you bring up is new to me. It's exciting. So, hey, I used to live like this. Now I'm suddenly in this. I feel like a little kid. I feel like I'm lost on everything. Everything you do seems weird to me. I don't have an agenda, man. I don't even know what I'm doing here. So Jesus, bring it. Let's go. Don't you understand how that's what God wants? Because what ends up happening is for all of us that have been saved for a while, we just added on. All this other garbage that we start arguing. Hey, hey, God, I'm doing some stuff. Hold on, hold on a second. You know what? We're best friends. Your best friends kind of give and take, right? Okay, so, I mean, you understand if I have a little me time, all right? We need some me time. So, just hold off for a second. I got other things I got to do. Literally, somehow we lost the idea that it was all his decision. And we started making our decision and his decision. Then it becomes all our decision. Jesus is saying, unless you become like that radical new first love of going, I don't have a decision. Hey, Father, what are we doing? I'll tell you. Okay. And then Jesus kind of goes off on two little tangents. Check this out. He said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me only, but him who sent me. What does that mean? God works on the representative concept. And it goes like this. If you receive an ambassador from a nation, you're receiving that nation who sent them. Yeah? If you receive a representative from a company, you're receiving the company that sent them. The reason why this matters is that if you receive Jesus Christ, you receive the Father who sent him. And if you receive a believer in Jesus, you're receiving Jesus who sent them. In other words, there's a chain of command and they're all linked together. You don't get to pick and choose who you love and who you accept and not assume you're rejecting a whole bunch of other people. You are not allowed to say, you know what? I reject you in the family of God. You're as you say that you're a Christian. You know what? I don't like the way you do things. You're not part of my family. You're not allowed to hate Jesus's bride and not hate Jesus. You're not allowed to cast dispersions on his kids without him taking it personally. 
So no, we do not get to pick and choose who we attack and who we divide with and who we, if they're part of the family of God, they're linked to Jesus. And if they're linked to Jesus, they're linked to you. Then he says something else, almost like he's now ticked off for some reason. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Don't mess with my kids. Is Jesus protective over kids? Yeah. Are we only talking about physical kids here? No, but I think that's implied because of the way that he handles children. He's talking about spiritually young kids. In other words, hey, I just got fired up about Jesus. I'm all excited. Like he just saved me from my past. He saved me from my baggage. He's good, lavished grace and love. And I'm, I'm all excited. And they come hang out with you and you just crush their faith. Yeah, well, you know what? Okay, stop with a hole. I'm all excited. Okay, nobody likes that. So what I need you to do, just be like me. You got, just cool your jets. You know what? The whole thing, if you're going to pray, a lot of that doesn't even work anyway. So you don't even need to bother doing the prayer thing. And you know, you might as well, if you're going to read the Bible, whatever. I mean, you can read the Bible or you can have some guy explain it to you. So, you know, there's no point in reading the Bible. So just, you know, don't damage the little guys. If they're new to the faith and they're fired up and they're pursuing the Lord, you want to encourage that. You want to help them thrive. Don't allow all your garbage to wreck them. Jesus is very particular about how we treat new believers. Be careful with them. Encourage them. Love them. Take time with them. And don't pass on your disease. Next, next story. This is just a random time in Jesus's life, but it's a little later in the ministry. John, John, the apostle says, master teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. Jesus said to him, don't stop him for no one who does a mighty work, a miracle in my name will soon thereafter be able to speak evil of me for the one who's not against us is for us what why would they want to stop a guy casting out demons i mean that that seems kind of weird don't you think that sounds like a good idea no no no. we totally like those demons why are you casting them out you, you don't want more demons around so if somebody's casting out demons aren't you kind of going yeah go for it apparently not why jealousy and control Here's the point. Remember I told you that three of the guys, Peter, James, and John, went on a special field trip with Jesus and the other nine were waiting at the bottom of the hill? Do you remember what they were doing at the bottom of the hill? They were doing ministry and praying over people. When Jesus comes down from the hill, a guy comes up to him and says, Master, my son is possessed by a demon. I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't. Can you do something here? Jesus is like, oh, man. All right, bring him over here. Boom, demon is cast out. Later on, the disciples are like, what happened there? I thought we had all authority. How come we couldn't cast it out? He's like, well, that's a sticky one. That only comes out by prayer and fasting. I'm like, oh, good thing to know. Okay, they just got publicly embarrassed. Now they run into a guy who's super successful at it. Nobody likes when other people are doing well, unless you're doing well. And if you're successful, you're cool with other people being successful. But if you're having a hard time, you don't want anybody else to have an easy time because you think they should go through the same experience as you. 
And the, so we treat all other believers. We're comparing and comparing and comparing. Well, why do they get to do that? Well, why do they have to go through that? Well, why do I have to go through that? If they're not going to go through that, I got this kind of problem. I got this kind of issue. Nobody else seems to have that problem. Everything's easy for them. God, why are you answering their prayers and not answering my prayers? And all we do is compare and compare and compare and compare. Well, we don't like that guy. Why? Because he's not on our team. You sure about that? Well, he's not walking with us. He doesn't do what we do. He's not in our crew. And that means I'm not with him? Well, I think the way he does it is stupid. (laughs) Oh, okay. So now we're using rational arguments, okay? Uh, You may think it's stupid, but obviously it's effective. Oh, look, you guys didn't do it. He's doing it. He's using my name. He's connected with me. He's one of mine. Well, I don't like that. Yeah, obviously you don't like that, you little whiner. (laughs) Do y'all understand how this plays into how we treat all the other churches? Y'all get this? This whole thing about they're not in our team. They're not listening to the same things we're doing. They don't like the same teachers. They're not doing... God, you, you must not be a part of them. Oh, really? Or does God also have other kids? Or do they not have to do everything that we do? Or does God work with their brokenness just as much as he works with our brokenness? Has he ever worked with anybody that's accurate? No. And so we constantly go, well, I don't like them. They must, they're not, they're doing, they're just, I don't like it. Oh, okay. So you don't like them. So now God's against them? Uh, no. If they're advancing the kingdom of God and they're your brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't get to do that. You have to love them. That's the way it works. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Hey, listen, I'm watching. I'm watching how you're treating one another. I'm watching how you're acting, Jesus says. I got my eye on you. I know what's going on. And I know how it feels. And I know how frustrated you are. And I understand how you're comparing each other. What I need you to do is keep your eyes on me and quit looking at each other so much. Final story. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, that means to die, be raised again, and ascend to the Father, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That means he became bent on the idea, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. This in the book of Luke is the big turn, where now everything is about the final days of Jesus, right? And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. What's that mean? Y'all remember how much the Jews hate the Samaritans? If you don't remember that, let me recap for you. The Samaritans are a group of people in the middle of Israel at that time. They had the area of Samaria. That's why there were Samaritans. And they were a mixed blood people. They were not pure Jewish. They came from the time when God moved the Jews out of Israel and other people backfilled that were non-Jewish. They intermarried with the remaining Jews and now it was a mixed blood race. So the Jews come back to their land and they're like, what are you guys doing here? They're like, hey, we were the only ones that were left around. They're like, well, you're not fully Jewish. Get out of our way. They're like, we're not going anywhere. We get our section. You guys can do whatever you're doing. Well, they had the middle and all the other Jews would go out of their way 
miles and miles and miles just not to get dirt on their shoes. They had different ways of worshiping, different temples. They had different ways of reading scripture. They were completely at animosity. That's why the story of the Good Samaritan is such a big deal. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. But Jesus would not allow that wall to exist. So instead of going around, Jesus walks right through the middle. He's trying to tell his boys, that's not how we treat them. We have to do some inroads here. So then he sends people to go prepare and say, hey, can we stay the night here? We're going to travel through. We're going to Jerusalem. They're like, wait, you're going where? We love Jesus. Yeah, man, that guy had a huge revival here. It's awesome. But you're going where? We're going to Jerusalem. Oh, well then, no. What do you mean, no? I mean, I don't, no offense, you're a Jew, but I don't, I don't really like you. <laughs> I don't know how that's not offensive, but... Um, your holy city. Oh, you got the temple. You know what? We got a temple here. We're good. So you know what? No, why don't you just take your business elsewhere? Because if you're all focused on Jerusalem, that's not really our gig. And they reject having Jesus stay in their territory because they don't like who he loves. How much have we missed out on because we reject who Jesus loves? Well, I don't like those people. And so, you know what? I want no part of that. Oh, you want no part of that. So you're casting Jesus away because you don't like those people. And that's all right. No, that's not all right. And then comes the funny part of the story. It says, and when his disciples, James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and burn them all up? (laughs) But he turned and rebuked them and went to another village. Okay. what, What in the world happened there? James and John are the sons of thunder. They're just like, all right, you want us to kill them all? And he's like, no, no, we're not. We're not killing everyone. Seriously, dude, we will call down fire and just boom, you know, just. He's like, where did they get the idea to do this? Elijah. Why? Y'all know this story? In 2 Kings, a king named Ahaziah falls through his lattice work and he's like, oh, I'm mortally wounded. And he asks for someone to, hey, I don't want you talking to Elijah and all those weird folk, the people of God. Okay, just go to some pagan guy and find out if I'm going to die or not. Elijah hears about it. What are you going to do? Is there no God in Israel that you're now going to a pagan God to figure out whether you're going to die? Let me help you with that. You're going to die. The king's like, they come back and they go, well, we ran into this dude and he said, you're going to die. What do you look like? Well, he has this garment of hair and he's got this leather belt. Dang it. I hate that guy. That's Elijah. That's the guy I told you to avoid. And they're like, well, he's sitting up on a hill over there. Well, you know what? Go arrest him. All right. Take 50 men. So the 50 men and their captain go up there. Hey, son, uh, uh, man of God, uh, you get down here right now because our king said that you're in trouble. We're taking you to prison. He said, if I'm a man of God, fire's coming down from the sky and burning you up. Boom, they're all gone. The king's like, dang. Send another 50. So he sends another 50. They go up and they're like, man of God, you get down here right now. We're tired of this business. And I can't, you can't just burn people up. Boom, they die sends another group third group comes in dude i'm making minimum wage i do not i do not need to die right now okay i got kids i got this is not my idea i'm just doing what i'm told can you please i'll get on i'm getting on my knees you don't need to call down fire all right we're all good we're all good just please come with us and elijah's like all right (laughs) 
And he goes back to the king. And the king's like, what? And he goes, you're going to die. Bye-bye. And he leaves. That was it. That's the whole story. That's where they get this idea of calling down fire. These guys have been equipped. They're out there doing healings and casting out demons and everything. These guys are like Navy SEALs. They're locked and loaded going, who do you want me to kill? I'll kill them right now. And Jesus is like, no, dude, we're not killing people. And they're like, they just turn, did you just turn away my Jesus? Did you turn away my Jesus? I will kill you. And you're like, uh, guy, I don't think that was the point. I don't really think that's the gospel that we're trying. And Jesus is like, stop it. Right? And they're like, sorry. Then they look back. We're like, next time Jesus may not be with me. Huh? <laughs> It's Jesus is like, I feel like you guys aren't listening to a word I'm saying. (laughs) Oh, we disagree with us. Let's kill him. Okay, stop with the animal. This is not your kingdom. This is my dad's kingdom. He's building it. You don't get to go draw little lines in the sand. We're in, you're out. We like you, we don't like you. Stop with all that. Would you please just do what my dad's telling you to do? Can we all just kind of go, hey, look, we're all advancing the kingdom of God. Let's go that way. Why can't we do that? Why is it always about your jealousy and your control and your, this isn't your world. This is God's world. So I know you got agendas. You just got to shut them down. I understand that you want to be more comfortable, but what if I don't want you to be comfortable? He said, what, what if... You actually need to let some things go to be about my father's business. Isn't that why you're here? Ah. Like I said, these are the messages that are so hard, right? Because you know there's so much of that. Jesus, I give you 95%. Just don't touch that 5%. And he's like, unless I'm king of all, I'm not king of all, right? So this whole thing about you're going to, you got your part and I got my part. Kings don't have parts. They just have all. So I know it's, I know it's hard for you to let go. I know it's hard for you to submit. I understand it's hard to surrender, but you have to understand, kid, it's the only way we live. What I want to pray for is not just that we realize where we've screwed up. Because I think the enemy would love us to just leave it there, right? The condemnation. Man, I feel like a jerk. I feel terrible. I let God down. But what I'm going to pray for is that he would give us the strength and power to turn things around. A new way to actually long for what he longs for so we can let things go, not have to have them ripped out of our hands. Does that, that sound like something we should pray about? Yes. All right. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for just that. Would you open up our eyes? Would you unstop our ears? Would you allow us to know not only what your will is, but what we need to do in reaction to that, that God, we would hear your voice clearly. And we would say, yeah, we want to do that, whatever that is. But Lord, there's all kinds of things that fight against us. It's sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes it's just us. Lord, we don't want to let go of stuff. That's our teddy bear. That's what we soothe with or, or that's what we think is important. Or Lord, we don't think you care about that. So we're going to try to take care of that. God, we're scared. And when we get scared, we hang on to everything really tightly. 
Lord, give us a different perspective, a different, a different vision on what the kingdom is. Lord, help us to have a much bigger we as opposed to an individual me. Lord, allow us to see it like you see it, build it like you build it, that you would be glorified, not us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.